Changemakers, welcome to another episode of the Sacred Changemakers podcast. My name is Jane Warrilow and I have another great guest lined up for you today. Someone I think you're going to really love. But before we enjoy a deep conversation together, I want to remind you why you're here. The, this podcast is about change and transformation, but not just any old change. We believe in change for good, which lies at the intersection of three things, purpose, impact, and prosperity. We want to encourage you to think a little wider about your own life from your personal and professional development to also ask the question, how can I make a meaningful impact with my life? It's time for us to find a way to live in resonance with each other and all living things. And at Sacred Changemakers, we're here to help, to build the foundations of a more equitable, loving and resonant world. Come with us on a, on a journey as we go behind the scenes with people who are making a real difference in our world. Sometimes we're going to be interviewing changemakers and sometimes we'll be leading deep dive conversations tackling the challenging issues of our times. But first, a word to our sponsor. Today's episode is sponsored by Coaches Business School, the world's leading business training for coaches and consultants, helping them to succeed in business so they can make a meaningful difference in our world. Go to coachesbusinessschool.com to get the tools, strategies and frameworks you need to enjoy growing your business in a way that is profitable, predictable and purpose driven. A big shout out to all of our coaches, because without them, this wouldn't be possible. Okay, so our guest on the podcast this week is Tony Lloyd, a leadership development expert who empowers aspiring change makers to rapidly grow a business with a social mission. Tony is a former Fortune 500 executive with companies such as John Deere, Medtronic, and Buffalo Wild Wings. Today, Tony is a best selling author, keynote speaker, business coach and podcast host. He is the executive producer of the podcast Social Entrepreneur, where he shares positive stories from underrepresented voices, focusing on solutions that the world needs. You may also have seen Tony on the TED platform as he is a TEDx speaker and the best-selling author of Crazy Good Advice, 10 Lessons Learned from 150 Leading Social Entrepreneurs. And our conversation today is titled finding the path to your purpose. So welcome, Tony. Jane, it's an honor to be here with you. Oh, I can't tell you. I'm excited about our conversation. I really am. I didn't realize we had so much alignment in our worlds, Tony. So let's <laughs> dive in. Okay. So All right. Let me ask you, you know, our listeners have just heard your professional bio, and I often think of this as our highlight reel, but could you tell us something about the real life human that lies behind that bio? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, I really, I really hate bios. Just, I mean, let me just be really trans, transparent here. I, I really don't like bios. I write it because one, my coach tells me to write it. So I write it. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I had a bio that was about two sentences. It was like, you know, author, speaker, coach, he goes, you're a best-selling author. You're a, you know, like he yeah. just gave me such, such trouble about it. Um, but I do think that um, it, it, it sometimes in a bio, it sort of puts you out of reach. It makes mm -hmm. you seem superhuman. And like, I love that you use this phrase highlight reel, right? Because it, you know, we try to compare ourselves to other people's highlight reels, and we compare our day-to-day -day behind the scenes to that. And, and so for me, my day-to-day -day behind the scenes, you know, I'm, I, I'm a father, I'm a grandfather, I am, a, you know, I'm a runner, I love to run. Um, I, um, but but I, I'd say my primary calling in life is I am a facilitator. And so my, my, my greatest joy is standing in a classroom or a workshop or wherever, and not the sage on the st stage, but the guide on the side, the person who sort of stands there and gives you a little work to do. And then you go off and you're doing the work and I'm just sort of guiding that. I, I, I often say, I love to provide the context in which all the content goes. So my, my favorite place to be is kind of like right now behind the microphone, 
with the cameras off, you know, back behind the scenes. Um, so, so, uh, you know, I love to facilitate the growth of others. That's, that's who I am. And that's what I'm all about. Oh gosh, that's so great. As you were talking there, I realized we have even more in common because <laughs> I, I'm also, gra- so I'm, I'm a grandmother. I've got my first grandchild now, but I'm also a runner. <laughs> So um, fascinating. And then when you talk about facilitating, gosh, and what you said about the, the the context in which all the content goes, one of my first coaches, one of my first mentors talked to me about the importance of context all the time. It's kind of drilled into my mind that the context is so important to anything, right, in life, whether it's just life or a conversation or leadership, so very important. So that brings me to my next question, which is about your context and your journey through life. Yeah. Because how did you get to where you are today? Um, I was dropped on my head. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I think, um, you know, I, I, you mentioned before we started recording here that uh, you like this framing around sort of these three moments that matter the most, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and... Uh, the way that I think about it, and I, and like you, I'm a podcaster. I hear hundreds and hundreds of stories of people who tell their journeys of how they found that path to their purpose, and and mm. and how they were able to to make an impact in the world through through their work. But we have certain things in common, right? So, mm. um, if I ask you what were the most meaningful moments in your life, Jane, you might you might start thinking about you know you just mentioned your grandchild was born. That might have been a really meaningful moment for you, or or when your child was born, or the day you got married, or you know the day that you moved to where you are today, or you know there there are a lot of different moments that matter in our lives. But I I, I think about my path and sort of these three moments that matter the most. <clears throat> Excuse me. And and the first one is sort of this moment of mortality where I um I, I was 14 years old. Um I was uh I was highly unpopular in school. I had moved to uh Illinois from Arkansas. I had this thick southern accent. Uh I was about five feet ten inches tall and about 125 pounds. Uh, and, and, you know, face covered in pimples and just, you know, like if, if you just pictured the most unpopular kid in your school, that was me. And I, um, I I was challenged to race a kid across the lake. And since, you know, the mere fact that someone had, had noticed that I existed and asked me you know, to participate in something. I was so shocked. I, I agreed right away. Um, so I tried swimming across a lake and to make a long story short, uh, about halfway across the lake, I realized that I was incapable of swimming across the lake and I, uh, I was exhausted and just could not keep going. My arms were like spaghetti, uh, you know, I was breathing so hard. I was barking. I, uh, it was just, you know, I, I was in a lot of trouble and, um, probably about two minutes after that, um, I was unconscious and lying in the bottom of a lake in Williamsville, Illinois. And, um, I, I actually came to while I was lying in the bottom of that lake, I um, sank to the bottom of the lake. But when the back of my head landed in the mud, the mud was very cold and it woke me up. And so I found myself under 15 feet of water with mud on the back of my head and basically no oxygen left. I was, I was just on the verge of dying. And um, I, I, I could make out that one particular direction, the, the water was a lighter color than it was in other directions. And so I was able to reason that that must be up. And um, I found something at the bottom of the lake to put my foot against, and I pushed off and made it to the top of the water just as like I was getting ready to breathe in lake water because I just couldn't, I could not not breathe anymore. Um, 
but you know, the, and I, I managed, you know, to make a long story short, when I, when I got to the top of the water, I managed to roll over my back and I did this sort of floating backstroke thing for a long time. And I eventually made my way to the other shore. You know, I wouldn't be here talking to you otherwise, but I, um, when I was in the bottom of that lake, it was kind of like the fact that I was unpopular mattered not at all. <laughs> the, my pimples did not bother me in the least. Right. You know, the, the, my skinny, bony body didn't bother me. The fact that, you know, I, I was never going to find a date was just perfectly okay with me. Um, what mattered to me was the fact that, number one, I knew that I wanted to live. Mm. And, and up until that point, living had been a little bit difficult. You know, I was, I was unpopular. I was picked on. I was, you know, just like, it, I was a bit of a pariah at my school. And so I, I knew number one, that I wanted to live. And then number two, if I was going to go through the bother of living, I might as well make the biggest impact I possibly could. And I think as I've interviewed hundreds of people and talked to them about their stories, often they will tell me this story about sort of this moment of mortality for them, right? They, they fell asleep at the wheel and they woke up upside down in their car, um, you know, having crossed two uh, lanes of traffic, somehow miraculously not getting hit or, you know, they, um, you know, they, they went to the doctor and the doctor said, well, we found something right? Um, uh, or a loved one passed away or something happened that they, they understood in a way that they didn't understand before that we will not live forever and that we have an expiration date and whatever we're here to do in life, we better get busy doing it, right? So that, that moment of mortality. Now, Having said that, having said, you know, I woke up, I woke up at the bottom of the lake and realized I wanted to make a difference with my life. Well, I was 14 years old. I was just going to say, yeah, <laughs> 14 know? years old. That's very early to be having that kind of an awakening, really. It, it is. The good news is I became aware. The bad news is I didn't really have the wherewithal, right? I didn't, I didn't really have a plan. I didn't have a path. I didn't know what making a difference was going to look like. So, you know, as I, as I went on about my life, uh, you know, as I, as I um, uh, went through a corporate career and I went from, you know, lowly employee to manager, to director, to vice president, global head, uh, I worked for some um, well-known Fortune 500 uh, companies, as you mentioned, I had these executive roles. Um, and I came to this moment that uh, the, there's a, a, an organization called Echoing Green, and they talk about your moment of obligation. It's this moment where you said, you know what? I saw this thing. I saw this need, and I can't unsee it. Mm. And, and for me, it was like that conflict between the um, – within the boardroom, we would have these conversations where – um, shareholders, the people who own the stock in the company, always won when the choices and trade-offs came up against every other stakeholder. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if it was the environment or the planet, if it was our communities, if it was the employees, if it was, uh, you know, our customers, whoever it was, um, all other stakeholders lost when it came to choices and trade-offs and the shareholders, the people who own the stock in the company, they always won. And I was, um, I was actually approached by somebody in my company, and they asked me to go to Washington, D.C., or nation's capital, and to lobby on behalf of the company. And I, I've done this sort of thing. I think everyone has the right to ask their government for a redress of grievances, and, and maybe that's, you know, an odd regulation that probably shouldn't be there, or, you know, a burdensome tax or a something, you know, that that is keeping us from doing our, our roles here. And um, but the thing that he asked me to go lobby about was 
um, he said, look, there are, there are a lot of company, a lot of states that are trying to raise the minimum wage, and we want to go oppose that. Hmm. And, and for me, I, I believe that one of the greatest problems we have in our society is that we don't pay a living wage. And when you don't pay a living wage, then it causes this societal burden um, and, and there are all kinds of negative consequences. People can't even be good consumers of goods if they're not paid a living wage. And so, you know, there, there are all kinds of negative consequences. And, and it was just that moment right there that I just said, you know what, I'm on the wrong team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that, that I, I believe in the power of business, but I also believe in the power of people. And I believe that, um, that, that they're, you know, I, I believe in making a dollar, but I also believe in making a difference. I believe in making money, but the money should be in service to a mission. It should be about something greater than ourselves. And so I, um, I literally walked off of my job, like with a, a, a one day notice, uh, and just, I, I, I gave up, uh, you know, um, bonuses and, uh, you know, status and security and all kinds of things, because I had just come to this moment of obligation. I knew that I, I, I cared deeply about the power of business, but as an instrument to something greater than ourselves. Right. Um, and then, (laughs) you know, now I'm outside of my corporate life. Well, now what? Right. So, so it's, it's one thing to, you know, to get on my high horse and go riding off and go, ha, 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 I showed you, but then now I'm outside the gate going, whoops, maybe I should have thought about that a little bit. Um, so then becomes your moment of action. And, uh, and, and for me, you know, I, I launched a podcast, as you mentioned, I, um, wrote a book, I did a Ted talk, I'm or TEDx talk, sorry. Uh, you know, and, and today I'm a, a business coach for, um, you know, people who care about change making, uh, as many as you are, as many of your guests or uh, your, uh, listeners are. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it, it's one thing to, to have this moment of mortality and realize you're not, uh, going to live forever. It's another thing to have this moment of obligation to know this is the thing that I own. And then none of that matters unless you take that moment of action. And so that, that was really the thing that made the difference for me. And I I love the way you speak about it in those three ways, because, uh, you know, listening to your story, I can almost find myself in your journey there. And, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners that are listening in also, you know, have had that, that moment where it's like a moment of insight and awakening, whatever we want to call it, where we suddenly realize that, you know, we might be on the wrong team like you did, or, you know, what we're, what we're doing or how we're living or how we're leading if we're in business isn't working the way yeah. we thought it would. Yeah. <laughs> but not, not everybody then takes the next step to the place of obligation and then the next step into action. Yeah. So looking back on that, I just love to get a sense of, you know, what did you learn in that process? Was there anything that you can share with our listeners there, Tony, that you feel really helped you to kind of make that leap from awakening to obligation and from obligation to action? Because I think there's a lot of us right now in the world, particularly, you know, as we're coming out of the COVID pandemic, um, well, I say coming out of it, I think we're probably learning to live with it. But, um, you know, as we're coming out now, we're all thinking, okay, we're rethinking so many aspects of life and business, but we're all getting to that moment that you talked about in your story yeah. So now what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a great question. It's a great question, Jane. You know, I, I, I think that, uh, you know, you and I were talking a little bit ahead of time about kind of, yeah. you know, things that create resistance, right? That keep yeah. us from doing that thing that is in front of us. And by the way, a good book that I'd recommend, uh, Stephen Pressfield wrote a book called Turning Pro. Yeah. Um, he, he wrote the book called uh, The War of Art. Uh, and then later he wrote this book called Turning Pro. And he keeps talking about how resistance is the thing that we are here to overcome. Um, so 
I found, you know, throughout my life that uh, there was always this sort of resistance I had to break through. But one of the things that is a resistance for me, it was this sense of overwhelm. It was, you know, um, you know, we were talking before we started recording here is like, uh, you know, people would say, start shouting terms at me. Well, you know, you need vision of values or you have to lead yourself or you need customer discovery or, there, you know, a business model or uh, you need key segment traction or, you know, a series A funding. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, it's like, this is like my eyes would get big and my mouth would drop open and it would just be, it's just too much. Um, so, so I found that um, like there's this series of simple questions that you can ask yourself that if you can answer these questions, then you can make a lot of progress. And, um, you know, so I'd be, I'd be glad to walk you through some of those questions that uh, I find, you know, every social entrepreneur has, you know, somewhere between seven and 10 questions that they're going to have to answer and if they can, if they can answer those questions, then they can make progress. So, if you want, I could talk about that. Yeah, please do. I'd love to hear some of those <laughs> yeah. questions. I'm kind of on the edge of my seat now. <laughs> okay, you know, I, I think the first question um, you have to ask and answer if you if you're going to do something to make a difference, you have to get really clear on question number one, which is what is the problem, right? Okay. What is my problem to own? What is that? thing that, um, that I'm here to solve for. And then question number two then would be who has the problem, right? So who do you serve? And, and, and you have to be as specific as possible. You know, it's like, uh, you know, moms, uh, 20 to 45 who are, you know, blah, blah, blah. Great. But if you sat down beside that person who has that problem, who are they? Right. And, and then, you know, um, it, it's not just about describing your perfect one customer, but then you have to say, well, is that a problem that is widespread? And you know, how large is the marketplace we're looking at here? Um, so, so what's a problem? Who has a problem? Number three is how do you solve the problem then? Um, or, or more importantly, how do people solve it today? Right? Because any pain that people have, they've got to work around. Um, you know, before there was Zoom, we had some way of doing meetings from a distance. And before there was Skype, we had some way of doing it. Uh, we had telephone calls, right? We had teleconferences. And before that, we had some way of doing it. We sent a telegraph, I guess. I don't know. Um, but but there's always, there's has always been a solution. And and whether that's a formal solution, right? Zoom, Skype, telephones, or it's an informal solution, it's just something that rises up from the people that it's a workaround for them. Because when you, when you start trying to present your solution, you're not just competing against other companies or other entrepreneurs out there who are doing this kind of thing. You're competing against the workaround. And so, yeah, what's, what's the problem? Who has a problem? How do people solve it today? And then what's your solution? That's number four. Um, so, how do you go about solving the problem? And, and so that's where you're starting to think, what are the products? What are the services that we're going to provide? You know, what's our value proposition, that kind of thing. Um, and then if you're going to provide some kind of solution, then how are you different? That's question number five. How are you different? So what's your unique selling proposition? You know, what's your secret sauce? You know, what's the thing that, that makes you unique? The thing that, that, uh, that will, attract people to you. And then of course, number six, you have to figure out how do you make money? Uh, that, um, you know, if, if, even if you're a nonprofit, right, that you have to have donors of some kind who are going to give money, somebody somewhere has to pay for this. And so unless you're, you know, independently wealthy and you're willing to reach in your pocket and give whatever it is away to the world, you have to figure out how you get paid for this thing. So uh, let me go over those first six. So what's a problem? Who has a problem? How, how do people solve it today? What's your solution? How are you different? How do you make money? So then we're really going to get into the meat of it because the question number seven is, what's your impact? And, and so how are you going to make both that dollar and that difference, right? What, what's the transformational change that you're bringing to the world? 
Um, and how are you going to measure that impact? How will you know? You know, um, you mentioned before we started recording the sustainable development goals. So let's just say that you're you're saying, well, I'm working towards you know ending world hunger uh, or clean water for all. Great, that's fantastic. How are you going to measure that? What what's your metrics and how will you measure your impact? And then then you know, like the last three questions are sort of like uh, you know, what's your vision? Where are you going with this? Um, and then like the, the last two really have to do with, um, with you personally, because one of the things I think we don't think about ahead of time is doing soul work, right? Doing work that matters, doing work that really requires something of you personally, you can't pour from an empty vessel. And so question number nine is, how will you thrive? And question number 10 is, what's in your ecosystem? What are you going to surround yourself with in order to make sure that you are cared for, loved, seen, supported, you know, all that? So, so that, that's it. Those are like 10 questions, right? You know, what's a problem? Who has a problem? How do people solve the problem today? Uh, what's your solution? How are you different? How do you make money? What's your impact? What's your vision? How will you thrive? And uh, what's in your ecosystem? So, so those, those, you know, and, and it's been very interesting that any person that wants to talk to me about their social enterprise or their idea, if they can answer these 10 questions, I can get them funding. I can find somebody somewhere who will give them money and will help them to get going. Uh, but if they if they're having a hard time with their pitch, if they're having a hard time like winning in um, uh, accelerator contests or you know local Shark Tank like event or something, it's because they're not able to answer some of those questions. And, and so I think those are you know. But but if you think about this sense of overwhelm, where you start saying, you know, oh, I don't know what to do. Oh my God, there's too many terms I'm not familiar with. Just reduce it to those 10 questions. And if you can ask and answer those 10 questions, then, then you can make a big impact in the world. I love those 10 questions um, because for, for many reasons, but one of them is you're, you're talking about them in the context of social entrepreneurship. And I get that. But to me, when I was listening to you talking through those questions, for me, these are leadership questions as well. I'd love it if people that are already working for established organizations and they're somewhere, you know, within that organizational structure, they don't have to be at the top. If if we, because I would even go as far, and I'd love to hear your sense of this, Tony, is aren't these questions we should all be asking? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it, uh, if you, if you take the one about how do you make money, right? Yeah. That's the one that what, what the way that most people answer that question is I have a career. Uh, I work for a company. The company asks me to do certain things for them. I'm a marketing person or I'm a, you know, salesperson or I'm a, you know, I work in a factory floor or I'm the janitor or whatever that is. Um, you know, that's, that's the mindset that most people have of that's where my money comes from. And so the thing that kind of differentiates the, you know, the, the working for someone uh, and then being your own entrepreneur, that, that's the place, you know, now suddenly the money has to come directly from the marketplace and you have to figure out how that thing works. Um, and, and so that it's like the linchpin that, that, that uh, turns things. But, you know, even when I was a, a corporate wage slave, uh, you know, I had intrapreneurial, um, you know, so internal entrepreneurial projects that I launched and grew uh, that made tens of millions of dollars. And we did it, at, you know, as if we were in Silicon Valley and the board was, you know, the venture capitalists. And we, uh, we would go in front of the board and pitch an idea. And, um, and, and they want to know those 10 questions, right? They, right, yeah. They, uh. they want to know the answers <laughs> to those things. Um, so it does work the same way. You know, I, I, I love the, that you brought up working inside of a company. You, you sound like you're about to say something. 
What are you no, going to say? I'm, I'm just smiling at this end as you're talking because I'm like, for me, it's almost like, can't we legislate for people to ask themselves these questions? Because <laughs> it's so, you know, I think this is not something we're used to doing is, yeah. is asking questions outside of the context of what we think we should be doing in a role yeah. or, yeah. you know, just really believing that, our beliefs, our own vision matters and that we're yeah. actually in a position where we can be empowered to make yeah. a difference, even within, I'll say, the tightest organizational structures. Right. I believe it's possible. I'd love to hear your sense of that. Yeah. You know, um, so uh, um, one, of, one of the brands that I have that I've had, you know, I registered this URL when I, in 1997, it's Culture Shift. And uh, so, it, you know, I've had this concept in my head since then of this idea about how do you shift a culture? And at the time I was working inside of a company, that's when I was still thinking about this. And so you have to figure out, first of all, what is a culture, right? So every company has a culture, every organization has a company, every family has a, a culture. So what is a culture? A culture is three things. It is the expectations, reinforcement, and rewards. And so whatever your sphere of influence is, now maybe that's just you, know, you and your boss. If you, can, if you can influence up or you and your peers within an organization or you and somebody in a, another department that's way away from you that you don't even have anything to do with, but if you can start to get clear on what are the clear expectations we have, and then how will we reinforce those expectations, right? So how will we provide like positive, immediate, and certain consequences to certain behaviors we're looking for? And then how do we align the rewards to that set of expectations and that reinforcement. So expectations, reinforcements, and rewards will create a culture. Um, so you know, if you're lucky enough to have a team that reports to you, then you can set the expectations, you can reinforce those expectations, and you can reward those expectations. Um, the, the only question is, do you want to do something of significance? That's really the question. And, and, and so, you know, doing something of significance, you want to serve a cause greater than yourself, right? You want to work with like-minded change makers toward this, whatever this world-changing goal is. You, you want to, you know, you, you may need to build new skills and, and achieve mastery, but if you do that together with other people, um, and then, you know, you, you become this this community, you become this, you know, this culture where you're safe to be your authentic self because you're doing something significant together. That, that's the only question I think that really matters that, you know, of the 10 questions that I ask and answered here, you know, none of those had that in it, but behind all that is, do you want to live a life of significance? Do you want to serve a cause greater than yourself? Well, then there there are, there is a path, there is a way, there's a road in front of you that you can take that will help you to, to achieve something incredible in your life. You know, I, so for some reason, I've just gone into this space of like listening to you and thinking, okay, right. I, I, I know what I'm passionate about. I'm a listener. I know what I'm passionate about. And there's a path in front of me. So where is it? How do I find it? <laughs> how do I get there? How do I, how do I get on the path? How do I know right. if I'm off the path or on the path? And yeah. you know, there's all these, and then I'm I'm straight back into, and of course I'm projecting here, but I'm straight back right. into that space of overwhelm that you yeah. talked about. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I think paths imply steps, right? Paths imply that there are you know, there, maybe you're going to take several actions, but then there's a milestone somewhere along that you're going to, you're going to find that milestone along the road and you're going to lay your hand on it. And you go, oh, there you are. I must be on the right path. Mm 
You know, I, I live in Minnesota, and if I go north of where I'm at, I can get on the Superior Hiking Trail, and I can go about 300 miles from end to end, uh, and you know, never leave that trail. And but as you're going along that trail, first of all, you can kind of see, you know, the path is worn a little bit in the in the ground, but it's not always clear. But the you know, people who walk that path are kind enough that they put this blue mark on trees or a little sign near a tree or something that will show you you're still on the superior hiking trail. And if you're going along and all of a sudden you see an orange mark, you go, hmm, maybe, maybe I should back up a couple of steps because I, I might be on you know this uh, the Ice Age Trail or some other trail that's up here. Um, so uh, the same way that... Um, that the Superior Hiking Trail has these milestones. As you go along and you're working towards something of significance, there are milestones along the way. And people like you and other coaches, they have, you know, their names for them. They're different names. Um, you know, there, there are a few things that, uh, that I want to mention also, though, is, first of all, you have to figure out what stage you are at. Um, so, some people are only at the design stage, right? So that it, it's an idea in their head and they're just trying to get the idea out of their head and they're trying to test it a little bit and figure out where they're at. And then once they've kind of confirmed in that design phase of stage, then they're ready to go into the development stage and they begin to develop these different, um, you know, things that they need. They, you know, if you need a website, if you need uh, some kind of, a database on the backside, if you need some way to charge customers, if you know if you need to develop this new product, this new service, whatever this is. So you, you begin to actually make the thing that you're going to be selling. And then you can go into the growth stage. Um, and, and in the growth stage, you know, most people try to jump right to that growth stage. They're looking for that big hockey stick kind of growth. And uh, they're looking for somebody to come running up behind them, uh, venture capitalists, and start to throw cash at them. Um, and, and that's a fantasy, right? <laughs> that, that to get to there, you have to go through the milestones. You have to hit them on the path. So, um, so the first thing I wanted to mention is that there are stages. There is that design stage. There is the development stage. There is the growth stage. And then within each of those stages, there are focus areas. And I, I talk about four different focus areas. I talk about leadership. I talk about the market. I talk about the product. And I talk about finance. And so if I'm in that design stage, then I still need to think about leadership. But the way that leadership looks in the design stage is going to be different than the way the leadership will look in the develop stage or the growth stage. So in the design stage, you know, I'm thinking about what are my visions of values? How will I lead myself, right? That's, that's in that leadership bucket. Or in the market, you, know, you, might, you might be exploring the problem and starting to say, you know, do I really, really, really understand the problem. That's in the market uh, of the design phase. And so problem exploration or customer discovery uh, in the product phase, then maybe I'm just, just exploring whether or not this would be a good solution. Often, I will have people who go through one of my workshops or you know, I teach at the University of Minnesota, and we have students do this too, where instead of developing an app, you take a piece of paper and you draw the app and then you go out, you show it to someone and say, if you saw this page, what would you touch? If you touched that and it did this, would that be useful to you? And, and just a prototype of some kind, you don't even have to spend money for that. And then, you know, and then in the finance stage, you think about like, what is the business model? There's that business model canvas or the business model generation book. Um, so, so those are milestones along the way. So, so it all, you know, it sounds complex. It's hard to explain on a podcast, but I think that success leaves clues that you are not the first person to do this. But if you just, if you, if you just um, don't try to get ahead of yourself, right? Be honor the stage that you're at. Make sure that you focus holistically. So on leadership, the market, product, and finance. And then find those touchstones along the way, those milestones, and take the actions that get you there. 
Um, so I don't know, maybe that was too obscure of a, uh, of an explanation, but, but I think I, I like that concept of success leaves clues. We're not the first ones to do this. There, there is a way. You know, and as you're speaking, I, I hear so much clarity in what you're talking about. Right. And, and in my own experience, I know that there's times when I think I'm on the path and mm-hmm. the fog comes down and, you know, the sun goes down and it's dark and I can't see anything and I'm at an edge and I'm like, uh, like everything feels uncertain because I may not know where I am and yet I feel like I should. Like I feel like I should know where I am in, say, one of your, your models. But in reality, this path for me of, I mean, we could call it social entrepreneurship or creating business as a force for good in the world. I don't even know that we have the language for where we're headed yet. And I'd love to know what your sense is, what your relationship is with this uncertainty that, and you may not even agree with me, Tony, I don't know, but this, this belief that, you know, that I have that is, we need to, as business leaders, as change makers, be aware that there are times when we are just not going to know. Mm, not. Yeah. And yet we still have to show up confident. We still have to lead. We still have to problem solve. <laughs> you know, there's all, and we still got stakeholders that are yeah. like knocking at the door for profit. And um, there's this, there's this, um, I'm going to say there's like a, an invisible drive running a lot of businesses in the Western economy, which is this, this, relentless drive for more Mm. and somehow we've tethered more to better (laughs) and I think we're just learning that more and better don't always go hand in hand so so I'm now talking about because I'm not disagreeing with you I think there are structures that can really help us get on the path stay on the path and all of that and it can be messy it can be chaotic (laughs) And we might not know what we're doing. I mean, what's your sense of that through your experience? Yeah. Uh, A friend of mine from Uganda had this saying. I loved it. She said, hold tight to the vision, but let the form be flexible. Oh, yeah. And and so, you know, if if your vision is there's a hungry kid in my neighborhood who needs a meal, right? Yeah. And and that's not the only hungry kid in my town or my, you know, larger neighborhood or my town or my county or my state or my, you know, um, wherever you are in the world, right? It, it, it um, that, that if your vision is true, if the, mm-hmm. if your obligation is true, that there, there are hungry kids out there who need to be fed or homeless teenagers or kids who need to learn STEM skills or, you name it, right? There are 10 billion needs out there in the world. The world is full of needs. And, and you know, there's uh, the old cartographers used to put at the edge of the maps, so like they would draw the map and they would show you as much as they knew. And then at the edge of the map, they would write, there be dragons. And so, <laughs> so that's kind of how it is when you're in this kind of startup world or, you know, you're creating something new and powerful and meaning. You're, if you're living a life of significance, if you're serving a cause that's greater than yourself, there are always dragons and they are always out there. And there's something out there that is trying to destroy you and your company and, you know, the thing that you're trying to build, your venture, whatever that might be. Um, So, yeah, there are always dangers. There's, you know, you're always in danger of getting a bad advisor on your advisory board or having somebody in your company who just decided that they want to take the next three weeks off right in the middle of a big push or, you know, like something is going to happen that is going to stand in your way, but hold tight to that vision, but it doesn't have to look a certain way. You know, I I was thinking today as I was out for a run, I was, I was thinking about like, there are all these needs that people see in a different way, right? Mm -hmm. That, that there, you know, there's a homeless youth, 
And so there's a, a, a guy named uh, um, Julius Ibrium. I, I, I'm pretty sure that's his name, Julius Ibrium. He, he has a, in um, Bethnal Green, he has a, a coffee shop called Second Shot Coffee. And, and what they do is they, you know, they, they, number one, they employ people who have experienced homelessness and they help them to get back in the rhythm of, of working and get a steady paycheck and to, and to help them to build their customer service skills. And then they help them to find other jobs, right? That's one thing they do. The second thing they do is they have a buy one, give one kind of model where if someone comes in, you can pay it forward. Um, and, and, you know, when you order your coffee, you can say, uh, and I want to pay it forward. And so then you can get at a discount, a little chit of paper, a little piece of paper that you go over and you stick on the cork board at the entrance to the um, to the coffee shop. And so when homeless people are out in the streets, they can't just go into any business and, and just hang out. So they come into the coffee shop, they take one of those little pieces of paper off the cork board, they go over and they hand it to the person at the counter and they get a cup of coffee and they can come in out of the cold for a while and sit there and have a cup of coffee and use a restroom and, 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 and live for a little while, you know? So, so when Julius started that though, all he knew was that there were people who were rough sleeping on the street, people who were homeless in the U S terms, but they were rough sleeping. And, and he figured out pretty quickly just by being empathetic with them, just simply by sitting down and say, tell me your story. He heard stories about, you know, uh, women whose boyfriends had locked them out. Um, you know, kids whose parents had turned them out when they figured out that the kid was gay. Um, you know, the, uh, the, the guy who had a great job, but he was overextended and then he lost his job and he was two check, two paychecks away from being homeless. And, and so, you know, all kinds of ways that people end up on the street and he could have tried to have fixed all those different things that were sending people out rough sleeping on the streets. But instead, what he did was, what can I do? What's within my power? What's the thing in my hand that I can do? And so he opened Second Shot, Second Shot Coffee, and he's helping these you know, uh, homeless people. So there are 10,000 different ways that you can get to the end goal. But Julius knew he wanted to do something for people who were experiencing homelessness. And, and so this was the solution he came up with. Now, I know other people who have T-shirt shops that sell T-shirts and they give profits to homeless youth. I know, you know, there's, there's uh, somebody I talked to not too long ago, speaking of T-shirts, they do screen printing uh, and they uh, employ homeless youth. They bring them in, give them a job, give them a place to stay, and they get them to do screen printing for them. So they do corporate uh, you know, where's, you know, somebody's going to have a big event and they want, uh, you know, t-shirts made for the entire team or whatever. So, so there are 10,000 ways that you can solve that problem. So it's always hold tight to that, uh, to that, um, sorry, hold tight to the vision, but let the form be flexible. I, I think that's, there's really some great insights in what you've just said there for me and for our listeners, because, you know, when I, when I think about making a difference in the world and I, I talk to people, you know, doing it through business feels like a good way forward for people that see themselves as social entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. right, in that way. However, there's a large swathe of people that don't hold that at an identity mm -hmm. level. Yeah. And I, I think that what you've said there is really important for them to hear too, because it is true that, you know, we all, can all find something to be passionate about, but we don't always have to like even create a business around it. You know, there are things we can do in our personal life as well that can really make a difference. And to me, I don't know about you, Tony, but to me, this is kind of where we plant the seeds in our own life. When we start to realize that what we're voting for might be out of alignment, a bit like you found hmm. when you were in your, you know, that position you were asked to go lobby and you're like, suddenly, this is out of integrity for me, right? I don't yeah. want to do that. Yeah. So I just love you to speak to that 
that those seeds <laughs> that we can plant for people that right. may feel that they're not in a position to do something big and bold, like start a business around something they're passionate about. Right. I mean, what would you say to those people, Tony? You know, um, so there are, you know, as I mentioned, there are 10,000 ways to make a difference, but yeah. you know, some of the, some of those things there, um, you know, uh, right now uh, we just passed the anniversary of the death of George Floyd. And, mm. um, you know, by the time your, your listeners hear this, it'll be several weeks out, but I live in the Minneapolis St. Paul area. And I know that there were people, nobody went out and started a business and say, let's start a business that uh, keeps policemen from kneeling on the necks of, uh, of black right. men, right? You know, right. That, that wasn't the thing that was going to cause that culture shift to yeah. happen. So they took to the streets. Yeah. You know, um, no, no, no peace, no streets. You know, they they went out and protested. Now, there, yes, there were people who infiltrated the, that, who took advantage of that. They, you know, they burned buildings. They, you know, looted things um, under the cover of the chaos. But really, the vast majority of the people who went on the streets, they were saying, could you could would you mind terribly stop killing black men? Right. Well, you know, would you just mind terribly? And, uh, and, and so I think that, you know, there is a time for protest, for direct, act, direct action. There's a time for community organizing, where you just get people in the community together to get them to speak with one voice, to unify their voices. Um, there is a time to run for office. You know, I, um, one of the podcasts I, I, I have over the last few years run three podcasts. And so one of the podcasts that I ran for a while uh, was called Anti-Racist Voter. And we ran it up until the 2020 election. Uh, but it was really about how can people use their vote to impact systemic racism? Uh, and, and so maybe it is going to your city council meeting. Maybe it's running for city council. I found out during that while I was interviewing someone, I, she was running for a seat on the county board. And I could not tell you three people who have ever been on a county board, but she told me that county board manages a $6 billion budget. And you think you can't implement change with $6 billion to push around in different directions and different priorities. And so, yes, there are a lot of ways to make a difference. Maybe you can teach in a, in a school, maybe you can, you know, whatever. There are so many ways to make a difference. You know, because of my business background, I have a passion around people who make a dollar and a difference, but, you know, it, it's, it's really about serving a cause greater than yourself, living a life of significance. And, and that can, that can look a lot of different ways. Yeah. You just said that you just slipped in making a dollar and a difference. And it reminded me of a conversation I had last week with someone who actually turned to me and said, um, I don't believe that you can, you know, be profitable and purposeful at the same time. Mm. I don't believe that that's what business is about. I don't believe that's what capitalism is about. Now, what would you say to someone mm. like that? They were actually a CEO. Um, so yeah. it's an interesting conversation, but yeah. I'd love to hear what you would say to that. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I'm sure that they have a reason for that. So there's always a nuance to a conversation that I would yeah. be, I'd be remiss if I didn't acknowledge that there are people with multiple uh, perspectives and that yeah. mine is not the only one. Yeah. Um, having said that, uh, I, I think that I have found, you know, I, I often challenge myself to think about, like, let's say that uh, I, I mentioned somebody who prints T-shirts. Um, th there's somebody that I love. I love, love, love this woman. Uh, her company prints T-shirts and, uh, you know, with inspirational slogans, they sell the T-shirts, they take the profits from that, and then they uh, feed hungry kids. And, uh, you know, it, her, her coming from is wonderful. It's amazing. Uh, but then she had to ask herself, what is the impact that I'm having on the earth by encouraging one more consumption mm. and then two by, um, by the kinds of material that the t-shirts are made out of and are we using the right vendor and, you know, are, where do these t-shirts come from? Are people, uh, paid a living wage, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so 
I acknowledge that there are challenges to doing good through a business model. I also, so here's, here's why I think that business can be a force for good. So if you take the entire U.S. economy, nonprofits make up 13% of the U.S. economy. The government, who can be, not always is, who can be a force for good, right? Government makes up 5% of the U.S. economy, which means that business makes up 82% of the U.S. economy. If you could shift that in the direction of good, you have changed the entire world. If I want to make an impact on the way the world works, I have to focus on business because that is where the vast majority of the impact can happen. Now, you, you know, we saw, and again, your, your listeners are going to hear this a few weeks uh, out from now, um, the uh, Royal Shell Dutch company or the, what is it? Royal Dutch Shell company, Howard Shell. Think it is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Shell just uh, was uh, ordered by the uh, Dutch government. They said, you have to figure out how to cut emissions by some mass amount, like 42% or something. Um, and so government came in and leaned on Shell and forced them into now they're going to have to figure out how their company can stop emitting so much greenhouse gas. Um, yesterday on the same day, uh, ExxonMobil has been saying, look, we're not in the energy business. We are in the oil and gas business. And so we're not going to go play around in green energy and in wind power. We, we are a oil and gas company. That's who we are. That's what we do. Well, two people got forced onto the board that are uh, environmental activists that are saying, look, we, you know, we are shareholders um, and we have enough voting power that we're going to put a couple of people on the board because if you're doubling down on oil and gas exploration and the consumers go with electric cars or you know the the economy moves away from all of this sunk costs of producing and leasing and whatever oil and gas then our company is going to go away and so the power of business in that case forced some people onto the board. Now, they're not going to change the board overnight, and this is a business, and it's going to take a long time. But somebody somewhere has to start making an impact within that business. So uh, I am a true believer that, um, the, that um, entrepreneurship business is a giant force in the world, and it is just a force. And so we have to make up our minds. Are we going to direct that force toward good or are we just going to let that force, you know, a, a few years ago, the, um, the, the U.S. Supreme Court um, in uh, Citizens United case said corporations are people, which is just the stupidest thing I've ever heard. But um, if it is true that according to the U.S. Supreme Court, corporations are people, then then corporations have to understand that they are these giant beings wandering the earth, consuming resources. And so we'd better grow a conscious fast if, we're, <laughs> you know, if we are people. Otherwise, we are just sociopaths. And so, so, so it's time for business to become a force for good. And, you know, there are ways to, um, to certify as a B corporation, a benefit corporation, and ways to certify and guarantee and et cetera. You know, General Mills has made a big commitment recently to buy more regenerative agriculture to switch to renewable energies. You know, they're a large global organization and, and they're, they are aware that they're having an impact on the earth and they have to figure out how to have a different impact on the earth. So they're thinking about those things. So yeah, I, I believe that we have to work within that confines of business. Business isn't going away. Capitalism isn't going away. We have to figure out how to make it better. Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. And now I just have to ask you because we've we've kind of talked about so many different aspects of, of your work here, Tony, but I'd love to just hear you speak to, 
you know, what is your vision for a better hmm. world? Hmm. <laughs> wow. You know, um, so we're bringing together aspiring social entrepreneurs to, to serve a cause that are greater than themselves, right? So that, so that we together can live a life of significance. So recently, I'm all about community. I'm all about finding each other. I'm all about coming together. You know, I've developed some courses. I've developed an online community. I've developed some other things. Um, but, but it's like it's, there is this power in coming together. You know, I mentioned, you know, working with like-minded change makers or building skills and mastery that we need to make a difference or joining a community where you're safe to be your authentic self and to explore the, that moment of obligation that you're having. Um, so that to me is, is the future. It, it's, it's finding these like-minded change makers, these aspiring, especially change makers who want to use a business model to do social good. That's something that I think I have a unique set of skills that I can help people to do. So that's the thing that I care about. Yeah. I love it. Gosh, our conversation has just been so insightful for me. Um, it really has. So I'm going to move to my final question with you today, Tony, which is just simply this, you know, if there's some wisdom, something that you would want to share with our listeners, something, I don't know, that, that it's just kind of, we haven't got to it yet. We haven't managed to cover it in any way. I mean, what would you want to leave our listeners with? Mm. You know, um, when, before I was in my corporate role, I was a consultant and uh, worked for some of the big consulting firms of the world. And in, uh, you know, many years ago, on my first consulting job, um, I met a guy who was late in his career. In fact, he was almost too late in his career. You know, he had uh, he had lived a rough life, and um, he he um, he had uh, had overcome some problems with drugs and alcohol. He'd been in a terrible car accident. He, you know, he's just like this guy had had lived a really rough life, and so he gathered a bunch of us little junior consultants around him, and you know, he 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 knew that he wasn't much longer for his role. And he said, um, and, and of course it was all young men. So please forgive me if that's the world that I was in, but that's the world I was, you know, a bunch of young white men who were ready to take on the world. Um, and he looked at us and he said, boys, I'm going to tell you something. Be good to people on your way up. And they're going to be good to you on the way back down and I'm here to tell you, there is a back down. And I never forgot that moment. I, you know, kindness has to be our call word. It, it just, if how we treat other people, how we treat other human beings, whether we agree with them or disagree with them, whether we're, you know, we're on the same, if, you know, if you're wearing the blue jersey, I'm wearing the red jersey or the other way around, what, whatever that might be, you know, I even forgive people who don't support the Green Bay Packers. I even make it in my heart somehow to forgive them for that. So somehow we have to figure out how to treat each other with kindness because it's a small world. It's a short life and we just might as well be kind to each other while we're here. So elegantly said, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed our conversation, Tony, and I know our listeners will no doubt be leaving our conversation feeling inspired. So thank you so much. Thank you, Jane. Well, everyone, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for listening in. And before we go, I want to remind you that all the resources and links for our guests are in the show notes at sacredchangemakers.com. 
And a big thank you to our sponsors, Coaches Business School, who are helping us to make a direct impact aligned with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, all visible on our website. And if you're a coach wanting to grow your impact, you'll need to understand how to build a business that works today. So check out Coaches Business School's unique frameworks and methods to help you grow your business in a way that works for you and your clients and helps you make a meaningful difference in our world. Hashtag transition team. So it's time to build a bridge from what you want in life to include what the world needs from you. Together, we can make a meaningful difference. Again, you can find us at sacredchangemakers.com and our sponsors at coachesbusinessschool.com. And if our episode resonated with you today, I hope you'll consider joining us. So for now, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your intention and efforts to make our world a better place. Until next time, lots of love.